Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, yeah. Better than this. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do this shit. What's better than this? Guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this edition of the show. I think it's Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you caught yourself. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk some more about the (laughs) NFC South. It's the Falcons and the Bucks today. Kyle, we've got some news, though. We've got news from the NFL that we know the locations for three of the next four drafts. Yeah, we got Vegas, which we knew. Yeah. And then we've got Cleveland. Oh, yeah. Pump. To be announced. Great location. And then Kansas City. Going to eat ribs. Eat ribs. I don't know much about Kansas City or the wonderful state of Missouri, but I look forward to checking it out and mostly checking out the famous ribs. Um, We're expecting a big city in 2022, right? Um, well, I hope it's not London. <laughs> I can't imagine it'll be London. No. London $133 million just went to the city of, of Nashville. You think yeah. we're going to move that to Europe? <laughs> no. 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 That is that is going to go to Los Angeles, though. I'll tell uh, you right now. Uh, I'm hoping for somewhere in the southeast, you know, where actually the players uh, that get drafted play their college football. So, you know, Atlanta, Charlotte. Somewhere in Florida, you know, I think that would be. No, that's that's bullshit for you, man. You should want to travel. I I'm going to travel a plenty here, plenty of travel. But you, you should want to tour the globe. Uh, I do, um, but for the NFL draft, I think some at some point in its history of not being in New York City, they should have it in the actual deep South East. But I digress. You know, Kyle, we're going to be talking about each one of those drafts here on the Draft Dudes podcast. So make sure that you subscribe to this podcast by using the brand-new podcasting app Himalaya as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And when you get into your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Draft Dudes. Ready to get weird? Oh, yeah. Uh, Okay, so Joe mentioned we're talking about the Falcons and Bucks on today's show. Uh, so if you're fans of specific teams, you know, we understand maybe not all of this content is relevant for you or you might not enjoy this. So apologies in advance. So anybody uh, who's not Bucks and Falcons fans, you'll probably in- actually enjoy today's show. It's kind of the heel turn that I've been building up here. Uh, Joe, the Falcons got one of my top 200 players in this year's class. <laughs> but they got your interior offensive lineman number one, right? It's true. They did. <laughs> <laughs> but they also got no other players in the top 200. Yeah. So let's talk. Uh, start off on a good note. Talk about Mr. Chris Lindstrom. Yeah, we have to, yeah. right? Um, Lindstrom's so rock solid as far as I think he's pretty scheme diverse and – you consider putting him into this into your offensive line and, and really the whole offense is going to hum around being able to stay balanced with, with rush and pass and keeping Matt Ryan clean. And Chris Lindstrom 
getting plugged into this interior offensive line, I think immediately upgrades the entire offense because it allows Matt Ryan to perform better. Uh, it is an upgrade in the run game with the run blocking. Uh, he's an all-around player. The only reason he's there at, at 14 is positional value. He was my 18th rated player in this draft class, and I loved what the Falcons did with that draft selection right there. They had uh, a really strong start to their draft class by taking a fairly quote-unquote safe player, in my opinion, Chris Lynch. Oh, he's going to be so good, right? I mean, that BC offense has been really good running the football, and Chris Lindstrom is a big reason why, man. I love him in space, just as good as he is moving bodies in the line of scrimmage. But if you're looking for a guy that can hit those longer poles, lead, lead off tackle, and really be consistent, man. I love him in that role. And then he pass blocks so well. I mean, he's got that background of playing tackle early on in his career, and he moves so well and mirrors so well and frames guys so well that uh, I just could not imagine a scenario where he's not a really good offensive lineman for a long time to come. And obviously a big need there at right guard and, and really the entire right side of this offensive line was upgraded. They trade back into the first round and they did. Get, they though? Well, we're going to get into that. They took, <laughs> they're going to take, take Caleb McGarry, who, who I have 102 overall, which I think might be a hundred spots higher than you. Um, but, uh, I have my concerns with, with McGarry mostly just, I think he's so sloppy and pass pro. And, you know, I think he's got a, an entire overhaul and ha- ahead of him in terms of the footwork that he puts together to, to really win and set those roadblocks up the arc. Uh, I, I don't like the way that, uh, at least watching his college tape that he, approaches pass blocking and that's going to be something that's going to have to be fine-tuned but if you're looking for a good athlete if you're looking for a guy with some power with an edge that'll move some bodies you get that in McGarry he just has a ton of technical work to do with that pass pro footwork uh and they're going to need him to to catch on quick because there's no real other options here Uh, I mean Ty Sombrello you like him better as a backup but uh McGarry they they traded back into the first round he's expected to start yeah, so I, McGarry for me was kind of in the same stratosphere as where I held Brian O'Neill last year coming out of Pittsburgh, who went in the second round of Minnesota. Uh, O'Neill actually outperformed my expectations this past year for the Vikings. Um I believe O'Neal graded favorably in PFF. Uh, I think he gave up close to 30 pressures, even though he didn't give it up any sacks for, for Minnesota, at least towards the end of the year. I believe he gave up 30 pressures in pass protection. And um, honestly, that's better than what I expected. So is there a pathway there for Caleb McGarry to be a good football player. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's, he's drafted on the upside and the potential and the functional athleticism that he brings is terrific. But Joe, as you said, from a technical perspective, much like Brian O'Neill, who was originally a tight end and transferred in, and or kicked inside to play offensive tackle and, and keep his hand in the dirt for, uh, permanently, there's a lot of raw, rough around the edges type reps with McGarry and pass pro that the feet are really out of sync and I didn't think he framed blocks particularly well. I thought even in the run game, you know, he's so athletic, he can get into favorable positions, but I think he didn't think he sustained positioning with a lot of uh, consistency. So especially when you start to consider some of the other offensive line, like you, let's go out and draft a right tackle to play next to Chris Lindstrom. You could have had Juwan Taylor, 
Dalton Reisner. I know we're beating the beating the horse <laughs> down Cody here because we <laughs> Cody Ford. We we talk about this. Yeah. It seems like every day on the show about how these yeah. guys were there in the the mid thirties. But my goodness gracious, you need each one of those guys. I think would have been an immense upgrade as far as plug and play. Maybe not necessarily the long term potential. But if I'm a team like the Falcons, I don't want guys that I'm going to have to develop for for two or three years before I feel like they're at a place where they're a quality starter, which is what I think Caleb McGarry's facing. Now, could he surprise me? Absolutely. Wouldn't be the first time I'm wrong on an athletic offensive lineman. But as, I, as I'm doing my risk assessment of McGarry as a football player, that's a really ambitious pick to trade up and pick and spend a first-round pick on Caleb McGarry. I agree with you. Now, shifting gears to – that was it. That's all they did on day one and day two with the trade up. And then they had this, yeah. this, uh, I don't even know what you, you call this hole on day three. Is there anything? I mean, I'm looking Dumps over fire. Yeah. I mean, like, are any of these players going to sign a second deal with the, with Atlanta? I mean, I, I, I struggle to find, you know, how these players are going to help them. I mean, really raw players. I mean, I think the best thing they did maybe was Kadri Olison. It is. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. And he's like a seventh round caliber running back who they took in the fifth round. Um, I mean, he was a big reason why Pitt won the ACC Coastal Division this year, which I'm not sure that's anything to really brag about given how down that entire group is. But him and Darren Hall did some really good things for Pitt and put themselves in position to play for the ACC title. And obviously they got rocked by by Clemson. But we were there. Know, we, we saw were, that. We were there in the rain. Watch time. Yeah. yeah. Twas. Twas. It was cold, and Christian Wilkins was fun in that game, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, so, so like he gives him that power back, right? Like if you're looking for a downhill guy, he can move pretty well for his size. He does catch the football. He's like average across the board with some with some interesting power, but limited in terms of his elusive skills. But you know, John Kamiski is he going to be rosterable? I know he's got some athletic traits, but at the Senior Bowl, he didn't look like he belonged. Sheffield's been getting burnt in coverage for years at Ohio State. Like, what do you what do you make of this day three, man? There's nothing here. Let me be completely honest. Like, Olsen's probably RB three on the roster behind Devonta Freeman and Edo Smith. And I understand they lost Tevin Coleman, but you're not drafting Quadri Olsen to be Tevin Coleman's replacement. Those are very different skill sets. Do you agree? Oh yeah, totally different. So then I look at the cornerbacks, the defensive backs that they took. They took Kendall Sheffield. And they took Jordan Miller. Uh, both of these guys are super tiny, don't tackle well, and they're fast. So you just exclusively drafted speed in the secondary. And uh, Jordan Miller has some injury concerns as well. He's had some durability issues. Uh, Marcus Green from Louisiana Monroe, maybe, maybe special teams kind of guy. But, I mean, you – Shoot, you look at this Falcons death chart at wide receiver with Julio and Sanu and Calvin Ridley, and then you get down to like guys who you know wide receiver four, wide receiver guy five guys that need to play special teams. They got Russell Gage as a six round pick on this roster last year. It was a super fun kind of gadgety special teams. You know, very good kick coverage. They signed Olamide Zacchaeus as as a undrafted free agent who actually you know liked a fair amount. So. Where's the help on the interior defensive line? John Kaminsky, Joe. Come on now. I mean, that can't be real. That can't be a real answer. Right now, they're gonna they got Grady Jarrett and a contract year, and Deidre Sanat, who I think is a ro- quality rotational type player. 
They got Ty, uh, Tyler Davidson from New Orleans. All right. So we got another In free agency. They got Rashid Hageman. Is he going to put it all together finally? Yeah. What are we doing here, man? Yeah, this, this, this draft class, I think, really missed the mark to be completely transparent. And it's not even like there were bad football players available. They picked 111 and 135 in the fourth round and came away with guys that I had ranked 243 and 336. Olsen, I had 212, best value pick that they got on day three, and they picked him at 152. Mm. Just an abysmal – everything after Chris Lindstrom, I, I, to be honest, I hated. And I don't like I don't like putting draft classes through the ringer. Right, like that. right. You, you know I mean? You try and appreciate the thought process of the teams and, and the fits and, and not marry yourself to your rankings of the players. But I thought every single player that they took after Chris Lindstrom was a bad football player. Yeesh. Okay. Well, maybe we have better things to say about the Bucks. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah. Come on. This is a better group. This is a better group. Than, <laughs> it's, it's a better class yeah. than Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, Devin White, obviously the headliner there, the top five linebacker. Linebackers go in the first round, folks. Look at it the last couple of years. It's uh, and look at the money CJ Mosley got. So get it in your head. Uh, linebackers are perfectly fine to be drafted in the first round as early as the top five. Devin White, I mean, this team has been crippled by its defense for the last several years. They've been able to move the ball just fine on offense. But defense, they can't stop anyone. They got themselves a true field general. The guy that can be the quarterback of their defense in Devin White has all the physical ability that you're looking for in terms of both size and athletic skills. He's uh, a super urgent football player, plays with a ton of energy, a high motor. Yeah, he's got to clean up some processing stuff and get a little bit more consistent with his finishing. But, I mean, he's got blue chip traits. It's that simple. And, you know, the, the big it had a big need here at linebacker. And, uh, you know, I, I maybe I would have argued for an interior defensive lineman, especially now that we know Gerald McCoy has been cut and those types of things. But I can get behind this pick uh, even at the top five. Thank goodness they went this direction. Imagine if they would have taken like Ed Oliver and then Kendall Beckwith goes down. Yeah. And your linebackers would be Kevin Minter and I guess Deion Buchanan. As long as they went to LSU, linebacker. right? You can play linebacker for the Bucs. That's, that's right. the, the that's, only thing you have to do. <laughs> that's, that's the, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what. Um, Todd Bowles gets the most out of LSU kids. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He's got a great little track record there. So that, yeah. that marriage makes a ton of sense. Um, bunting at 39 was okay. Uh, I was a little bit lower on bunting than some of the consensus. Uh, I thought he was a scheme specific starter, but with that said, this is one of those environments that I see being a favorable scheme for Sean bunting. So, um, did I love it at 39? No, but I understand it. I'm not going to hammer that pick. Um, their next corner pick is a different story, but we'll get there in just a second. So looking at Tampa's back end now, their secondary, you know, Carl da- Carlton Davis um, had a pretty strong year last year from what I had seen. Drafting Sean Bunting now allows you to get guys that are kind of cut from the same cloth playing at both sides on the outside. And you're, you're really solidifying the Vernon Hargraves uh, provided he gets his mind right to practice, as Bruce Arians said, I believe it was last week when he didn't participate in OTAs. Uh, 
it, it can be your full-time nickel where he's not exposed to some of the physicality issues that, that have really plagued him for his entire career after being a first-round pick. And it, it bumps MJ Stewart further down the depth chart. And Joe, that was needed because from all early returns on MJ Stewart and then folks yeah. connected to the Tampa regime and, and organization, that MJ Stewart pick sounds like a total flop. So this, I, I like the waterfall effect that this builds for Tampa in their corners. Uh, you know, this is interesting. Uh, I know that you've connected a lot of parallels between your personal draft board and, and where players were picked. Sean Bunting was my 39th player. Uh, they took him 39. Hey. And, and Mike Edwards was my 99th player. And that's exactly where Tampa Bay took him, number 99. And, and if I look at this class, you know, I, I'm, I'm good with White. At five, I'm good with bunting at 39. The other pick that I really like is Mike Edwards. Uh, yeah. Safety for them. You know, he was he was such an important piece of, of a really good Kentucky defense, uh, you know, this past year. But he's a four-year starter over there, and he's renowned for his leadership qualities. And I think that's kind of one of the deals here with this Tampa defense is getting guys that are going to be tone setters, leaders, guys that are going to hold people accountable. And they get that in Mike Edwards. And I think he kind of checks all the boxes. You know, I mean, he, he can cover – he can play closer to the line of scrimmage. I like him in zones. I think he's got ball skills. He tackles. He's got a, a good processing skills. So I think that across the board, you get a pretty solid safety here and a guy that I think can be a, a pretty early starter for a guy they took in the, in the late third round. I got a hot take. Okay. Mike Edwards is the best safety on this roster. So they have uh, Justin Evans, Kentrell, Bryce, Jordan, Whitehead. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I think that's good. Like pretty, pretty, pretty easily, uh, in my opinion. I, I know, yeah. I know, Evans got has has got explosiveness, but the, the tackling issues have been an issue for him yeah. since Texas A and M. Yeah, um, and man, they got a billion young safeties, huh? Uh, <laughs> their their entire secondary is super young. Yeah, uh, I got to get that together. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think Mike Edwards will be the best safety on this roster this year. I think I think Edwards and Whitehead are the best two safeties on the roster. I like how those guys compliment each other too. I agree. You so. know, there's a lot of physicality, even with Justin Evans. I know the tackling issues aside, like range. you got to come to balance, dude. You yeah. got to, but but the range there is is a nice compliment. So they got some nice sub package potential, especially when you consider Devin White and Levante David are athletic linebackers Speed. too. So if you yeah. want to put three safeties on the field with Evans, Whitehead, and Evans or Edwards, and then keep David and White on the field, you know, your back five. Uh, in the middle of the field can actually be pretty athletic. So I like some of the potential that you've got there. Uh, Jamil Dean, <laughs> why? He's fa- he, he's big and fast. He, he's big and fast. This is such a dumb pick. I'm sorry. Tampa Bay doubling down on corners on day two with all three, right? All three of their day two picks being in the secondary. The Jamil Dean pick for me is so redundant. I understand there's no such thing as too many corners in the NFL, but he's so far off, in my opinion, as far as his readiness to step onto an NFL field and have anticipatory qualities and, and challenging the football and staying attached to bodies. And he, I mean, he's going to exclusively be a deep third cover three corner that I don't think has the twitch to explode and, and get involved in stuff happening in front of his face. He's very linear. I think his transitions are super sloppy. Um, 
big time project pick. I I would not have drafted Jamil Dean in this year's class, and they they took him at ninety four. So a very ambitious pick there, uh, especially when you consider you know you you got done kind of comparing and contrasting the picks that that Tampa made the rest of the way, and I had Devin White ten, he went five. Jamil or Sean Bunting went thirty nine. I had him sixty nine, but again, it was a scheme specific starter. So if I take that. If I put that filter on it, I'm on board with that pick. And I, like I said, I like the complimentary values that it brings. Mike Edwards, I had 91st. He went 99th. Anthony Nelson, 107. I had him 121. So they got pretty appropriate value up and down through the first four rounds with the exception of the Jameel Dean pick, which just made me pull my hair out because it, it felt so redundant with Carlton Davis there and Sean Bunting you just took. Um, would have loved to have seen maybe some address of the pass rush situation, another opportunity there. You know, you got Carl Nassib. We don't know what the situation is with Jason Pierre-Paul, Noah Spence, who's been you know, extremely underwhelming, William Golston, and then they obviously drafted Anthony Nelson in the fourth round. So uh, you could have had another opportunity to target potentially another you know, pass rusher and, and, and really help your team much more in 2019. And when you consider you've got Bruce Arians there. Mm-hmm. Who's retired? What twice now? <laughs> His shelf life as a coach is not going to be very long. So you understand with Bruce Arians here, they want to win right now. That's why you see them being so aggressive and cutting Gerald McCoy and then signing and Dominic and Sue. And I, I just that one really surprised me because it's a top one hundred pick on a guy that I think is a project player when the rest of your approach this offseason has been, let's get ready to win right now. This this Jamel Dean pick has rubbed you more wrong than any pick that we've discussed <laughs> in our, in however long we've been doing this. And this is like my the Jordan Scarlet pick for me is the one that I just yeah. can't, I can't do. Yeah. This, <laughs> I can't wrap my head around it. You've been struggling for weeks on it, man, since it happened. Well, tell, tell me where I'm wrong. I, I'm not going to tell you where you're wrong. I just think philosophically it's, it go it flies completely in the face of everything else that they've done this offseason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Anthony Nelson's interesting, you know. Um, I he is. Um, you know, I, Ty Bowles has been different in how he gets pressure off the edge. And I mean, Nelson tested really well for his size and he has some unique moments on tape where you see a guy that's six foot seven, somehow flattened in corner at a, at a, at a, in a way that you'd expect a guy, you know, three inches shorter and 50 pounds less to be able to do. So he's interesting. I like his developmental upside. It's interesting to think about how he fits on this defense, but obviously edge rusher is a big need. I know they gave uh, Shaq Barrett a contract and, Jason Pierre-Paul can't stop getting injured, not playing football. So, um, yikes! He's gonna—he might have a bigger role right away than we uh, than maybe we thought when he was drafted. Yeah. Has anyone checked in on Trevor? Trevor, Trevor hated this class, man. Oh, especially the he hated the <laughs> kicker pick. Ever. Yep. How do you hate the kicker pick if you're a Bucks guy? They've had problems there for a long time. Because the last time they drafted a kicker, blew up in their face. In the second, it's different though. It did in the second. I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm all about day three specialists, man. People are super against it. I did a a, a spot with the uh, UK Browns podcast uh, a couple weeks ago, and they were like all upset that they drafted Austin Cyber, the kicker from Oklahoma. And, and the only rationale was, oh, I just he's hate, I hate he's a kicker. Well, <laughs> okay. Kickers are okay. important. Whether you like it or not, they're important. 
If you can get a good one and it means you drafted him in the fifth round, so be it. Right. What are the odds of a position player making your roster in the fifth round versus a specialist <laughs> that gets drafted in the fifth round? Get the kick. You know you're getting a rosterable guy. Yeah. Nine times out of ten at least. Yeah. Uh, there are other two remaining picks. Scott Miller, wide receiver from Bowling Green. Terry Beckner from Missouri. Uh, I like Beckner a little bit, Joe. I uh, thought he was a fun player yeah. at Missouri. He's He's been beaten down a little bit with some injuries, really cost him some explosiveness. But uh, that that Missouri scheme really encourages guys to play free and, and be aggressive. And I think if you can get Terry Beckner in a rotational role where he's asked and tasked to play aggressive and play in a penetration role, He'd be a rotational player at the next level. So I, I think that's that's actually a very admirable pick for the Bucks, provided he's able to stay healthy uh, with a seventh-round selection at 215. Got to rank them, right? Got to rank these classes in this we, we We got to rank them. All right. It's pretty easy in my opinion. Um, okay, so we've started on the bottom previously. Started at the bottom that way, yeah. So the first has got to be the Saints, right? Saints are first and Falcons are last. Yeah. No question. Yeah, there's that's non-debatable. So is it the sorting out two three between Carolina and Tampa? Our two nemesis picks, Scarlet and <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going with Tampa at number two. I think there's uh I, I can look at this class and I feel better about how it helps this football team this year. I disagree. I think the the Dean pick ruins it for me. Can we fight about this? Let's fight about this real quick. Let's call White and Burns a wash, right? Sure. They're both going to help their football team a ton. Sure. Okay, so Bunting and Little. I don't think Little's going to be of, of quality left tackle. I'm just looking at the rankings, man. Oh, okay. Well, I think he, well, He's going to be asked to be a starter, though, too. So you know he's going to start. Bunting, you know, is going to start. I, th- I like Bunting as a corner better than I do Little as a tackle. Sure. Greer's not going to play. Jamel Dean sucks. Uh, but Greer gives you more long-term value, I think. Backup quarterback. And based on the way Cam's been going, Will Will, will play at some point. I I think it's I think the Bucks had a better class. Well, I, I'm just not going to get into a pissing contest with you over the merits of a backup quarterback at pick 100. And then they got Christian Miller at 85. Are you are you a believer in drafting backup quarterbacks? What's that? Or do you believe in drafting backup quarterbacks? If it's at one hundred, I'm fine. Okay. If you don't trade up for him and he's not CJ Beathard, <laughs> Ryan Finley. Yeah, right. Like it, I mean, I had him one ninety nine. He got picked one hundred. I'm fine with that value. I understand that there's some economic thought process that you know if you're going to draft a quarterback, you either take him in the first round, and if you're not going to trade him in the first round, why would you waste a day two pick on him? But it was like the third from last pick in day two. If they if they had taken if they had where's an early third round pick in this class? Nobody picked in the third round in this this division? Jesus Christ. <laughs> the only third round picks were 94, 99, and 100 in this entire class. Well, in this how, division. That's how it goes. If you had picked 66, right? That's where Pittsburgh picked Deontay Johnson. If you picked Will Grew at 66, I probably don't like the pick but you're at the end of the round. Do you think Mike Edwards will help the Bucks more than Will Greer will help the Panthers? 
I mean, why do I have to play it that way? Why do I have to go pick for pick? Why can't I just look at the total body of the class? Okay, so when I look at the total body of the class for the Bucks, I got, I think, a, a, a face of the franchise type linebacker. I got a, what I think is a starting starting corner in bunting. We can throw Now stop right there. Okay. Now stop right there. All right. Because I get a face of the franchise pass rusher in Brian Burns, who I like better as a football player, and I get a starting left tackle in Greg Little. So we're called a wash. So I don't think Greg Little's a starting left tackle, a quality one. That's what it comes down to. You don't either. Okay, and then Jamil Dean. Trash. I agree. But at least it's at 94 and not 37. Carolina wasted their pick at 154. They didn't waste their pick at 94. They traded one of their third-round picks to move up for Greg Little. They have two day-two picks invested in Greg Little. Okay. Where, where, what did you have him ranked? Little? Yeah, I had him one eleven, which is not great value, but I think he will be a one, left tackle. One fifty seven. Okay, so that's part of the reason. Yeah. Joe hates Greg Little. At thirty seven, when you traded, you traded your second and third round picks to move up for him. Yeah, I hate it. Yeah, but you can't don't don't play that game. They got a pick back, so don't say that they traded the second and the third. But they, they just moved up in the second. They got this. It's not they get. They didn't give them both away to trade for a player. They got the second back. If they would have sat there, if they would have drafted him at wherever they picked in the forties originally, I would have criticized it just as much. But fine. It's worse that they gave up the third to move up. See, that's much better verbiage. All right, that's that's more fair to Carolina. I disagree, but we're we're wrapping this up, Joe. We we can't do this all day. I will. We got to record tomorrow's podcast. <laughs> but the Bucks are two for me. Panthers are two for me. Bucks are three. Bad. They're close. I'm not going to sit here and say. I mean, it's just <laughs> Carolina didn't waste an earlier pick. That's all. Um, but they did. Could you stop I'm trying to roll the close here? I know, Joe. but you can't dig those digs at the end there. At least we typically waste- you're pretty pretty typically you're pretty passive. At least we would have wasted we didn't waste breath. we wasted ninety four. Yeah. 90, 94 is not good. Wrap top one hundred pick. Close the podcast. Okay, we're gonna <laughs> go ahead and close the podcast. If you guys want to listen to Joe and I bicker back and forth like a married couple, uh, you can hit subscribe on the podcast. <laughs> uh, you can do so on the brand new Himalaya app and uh once you get into your car, you can tell your smart device to play the Draft Dudes podcast. It'll play it right there for you, uh, so that way you can enjoy some hands-free listening of the dudes if you guys are on the go. Uh, you can also hit subscribe on uh, iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, whatever your preferred uh, podcast resource is, but we definitely recommend you check out the Himalaya app. It's, it's new, and it, it's pretty cool. So uh, come back tomorrow. We're going to start recording for the AFC West, our last division that we're going to give ourselves the run through before we put a bow on the 2019 NFL draft. Kyle Krabs at Grinding Tape with Joe Marino at the Joe Marino. Thanks as always for listening to Draft Dudes Podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V 
on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.